True Green is the easiest and most affordable way to get a beautiful lawn. All you have to do is water and mow and they'll do the rest. Weed control, fertilization, aeration, among others. They'll do all of that so you can do literally anything else. You have better things to do with your free time than focus on your lawn care. Let True Green take care of all the hard work it takes to get a great lawn while you take care of everything else on your to-do list. You can trust True Green to give you the best lawn because they are the official lawn care treatment provider of the PGA Tour. They offer a satisfaction guarantee and they have a verified best price promise, which gives you the lowest price with no compromise on quality. Think about how hard it is to manage our fantasy baseball teams. You need all the time you can get to put in waiver wire claims, fab bids, send out trades, and set your lineups. You'll have that extra time when True Green is taking care of your lawn. You do you, let True Green do your lawn care. Visit TrueGreen.com to get the best lawn at the best price with the best people, guaranteed. Welcome to the Fantasy Baseball Today podcast from CBS Sports. High drive, center field, hit the wall, grand slam. This is magnificent. Got a fantasy question? Email fantasybaseball at cbsi.com. Get ready to win your league. Where fantasy becomes reality. Now here's Frank, Scott, Chris, and Adam. Hey there, and welcome to another edition of Fantasy Baseball Today. On a Tuesday, September 15th, Frank Stample alongside Scott White, and just yesterday, I sat in this very chair and told people not to overthink things in the fantasy baseball playoffs. Scott, I need your expertise. I need you to tell me if I messed up in our podcast league, are you ready? Sure. Although, you know, uh, well, how are you doing, Scott, first and foremost? How's everything That's going? Not, it's not important. I'm, <laughs> I'm always doing the same. I'm a robot. It's fine. Let's, let's get on with what you did wrong, Frank. Potentially. Potentially what I did wrong. Time will tell. Okay, here were my options. 12-team points league, head-to-head points league. I, had, I picked up Dylan Cease for two starts, even though we told everyone not to start him. Okay, whatever. He's going up against the Twins and at the Reds this week. I had Griffin Canning at home against the Diamondbacks. I had Spencer Turnbull at home against Cleveland. I had Zach Wheeler uh, supposedly against the Blue Jays, but is he really? Is he going to start this week? I had no idea. I was trying to research. He threw a bullpen session on Monday, but there was no confirmation whether he was going to start, and I said, you know what? Well, it's the playoffs. I have to make sure that I get something rather than nothing, and that was the same case with Max Freed. Couldn't find anything. Like, is Max Freed starting this week? He's eligible to return. I couldn't find anything. So you know what I did, Scott? I started Dylan Cease, and he gave me five fantasy points. I I thought there was something on Freed yesterday uh, that made it pretty clear he was coming back this week. So I I was with you, actually. I mean, I wasn't... I was with you in not recommending Cease to the masses, but if those were your only choices, I could see why you went with Cease. I don't know what was available on the waiver wire that you could have turned to instead. I don't know how deep the league is. Uh, But based on those options you gave me, I was with you until you brought up Freed. Okay, and I now, gone with Freed, but. now I'm reading this. Max Freed is expected to return to the Braves starting rotation Friday against the Mets. But even knowing that, I still think there's a chance that he can be limited in his first start back. You know, he's someone that typically doesn't go deep into starts anyway. It's a head-to-head points league. So that was something that was in the back of my mind. Oh, and I have Dallas Keuchel on my IR. So... I could have put him in, but he's also returning from injury. So, you know, like, right. these were the decisions I had, Scott, and I didn't really love any of them. So I went with Dylan Cease, and he was pitching all right, but he only got me five fantasy points. Eh. eh. Well, it, it, it was a points league, which 
is notable because you still got a positive result out of it, even though he walked five and four and two thirds innings and uh, had, you know, not such a great start. It wasn't a disaster. And in a points league, that's, you can live with that, especially knowing there's another start coming. Um, you hope that one is better and not worse. It should be. The Reds is a better matchup. So, yeah. I hope so. <laughs> instead of the Twins, is who we face today. So, yeah. Um, I think. I, I think I understand why you made the call that you did, and I can't come down as hard on you as the audience probably wants me to. Uh, you know, I actually really debate. I was like, you know what? I'm, gonna, I'm just going to text Scott. I'm going to text Scott, ask what he would do, but you know what? I'm a grown man. I said, I'm going to make my own decision, but enough about me. I just wanted to empathize with any of our listeners out there or viewers on YouTube, Fantasy Baseball uh, Today. How dare you start Dylan C's Frank going against my recommendation as well as your own. You deserve to rot for that move. I do. I do. Yeah. I do deserve you do. that. You do. All right. On to Monday's action. The rest of Monday's action. Let's take a look at some some standouts. Oh my good goodness gracious. Alright, get us started here, Scott. A standout from Monday. Whether good, bad, whoever you'd like to highlight. Okay, so the standout for Monday that I'm going to go with is actually Josh Bell. It's Josh Bell. That's who I'm going with. Um, he homered. Uh, it wasn't his only hit, but he homered. Homered now in three of four games. And only three strikeouts in those last eight games. This is shaping up to be a very interesting final Two weeks still. Yeah, I was going to say week and a half, but it's still more like two weeks, especially. Yeah, they still have seven games on the schedule this week. Shaping up to be a very interesting final two weeks for Josh Bell because he could rehabilitate his value quite a bit if he goes on a tear here and uh, potentially remain a top 10 first baseman heading into next season. Right now, he strikes me as one of the most difficult hitters to rank for 2021. Uh, alongside guys like J.D. Martinez and Marcus Simeon. And I can, you know, I've probably come up with a whole list of names, but Bell is up there for sure. He's looking more like, you know, very recently here, he's looking a lot more like last year's Josh Bell. Yeah, he has 13 hits over his last eight games, and I looked into that small sample size and... The strikeouts are down, as you mentioned. The hard contact during this eight-game stretch is like 72%, according to Fangraph, so that's great. Still hitting a lot of ground balls. That was, I would say, among the biggest uh, the biggest changes for Josh Bell in 2019 was that he started hitting more fly balls and decreased his ground ball usage, and this year he's up over 52% ground ball rate. Uh, the batted ball data, according to StatCast, he's still hitting the ball very hard. His average exit velocity is actually up this season, but his launch angle is down. So that's what I need to see over these last couple of weeks if I'm going to be buying to Josh Bell, albeit small sample size, but just can't the take those. The whole thing's a small sample size. That's right. Everything's small. How many times, you know, if uh, if we created like a fantasy baseball today drinking game for every time we said small sample size throughout the season, Scott, it would, uh, we would have some very intoxicated listeners out there. Uh, but yes, Josh Bell is someone that I wanted to highlight as well. But for me, 
I wanted to take a look at, not that it's anything crazy. The guy's been great all season, but Denelson Lamette against the Dodgers of all teams. Tough matchup. Seven innings, three hits, one earned, two walks, 11 strikeouts, 18 swinging strikes on 98 pitches for Lamette, 14 whiffs on the slider, which he threw 60% of the time in this start. Scott, I wanted to ask, how are you handling Denelson Lamette heading into next season? I've seen some people... Some other fantasy analysts on Twitter are a little hesitant on Lamette because he is strictly a two-pitch pitcher. My argument against that, well, there's no argument. I mean, that is a fact. That is a factual statement. But what I would say is, I think for Lamette, he's in a similar mold to, to Tyler Glass now where the two pitches that those pitchers possess are so good that they might just be able to get away with it. You're talking about like a 97, 98 mile per hour fastball for both Lamette and Tyler uh, for Glass now. And Lamette has like an 87, 88 mile per hour slider, which just generates all these whiffs. He might be able to get away with it, Scott. Yeah, I, I think the two pitch argument carried a lot more weight coming into this season when he was still largely unproven than it does now. I mean, the fact that four of his last six starts, he's gone six innings plus, and, and three of those four was actually the, the plus, not just being pulled after six innings. So really taking on uh, oh, oh, the workload of a, a frontline type pitcher. He, he has yet to go less than five innings in any start this year, which I guess is uh, shows how consistently effective he's been. So that, that comparison with Tyler Glass now is a good one. In, in terms of how I rank him, uh, he is probably going to be linked very closely for me with, with Blake Snell because I think the, I think the strengths and we like the, the main concern for me with Lamed is, is still how consistently will he throw six plus it's been very consistent lately. And so that's encouraging, but you know, that's obviously not a long standing trend and that's still the main concern with me for Snell, even though I know the strikeout, number is still going to be very big considering it. That's, that's kind of the profile I'm seeing for Lamette right now. Today on the show, by the way, we are going to recap uh, the rest of Monday's action, but we have some keeper talk. We're going to answer your questions a little bit later on fantasy baseball at cbsi.com and just take a look at some players who went later on in drafts this year, who you might be able to keep for a solid value heading into next season. And as we've done, you know, the past couple of weeks, I want to keep people engaged, Scott, people who are out of their fantasy baseball playoffs. I want people to come back and continue to listen and watch fantasy baseball today. And one way to do that is continuing to talk about next year's value. I brought up the names, Lamette and Glass. Now they're similar. Who would you rather have heading into next year? Who can you see yourself ranking higher between the two? Those two? You're asking me about those two specifically? Yeah, Glass now versus Lamette. Uh, I'll put Glass now higher. I still think, particularly with the way he's rebounded here recently, he might have as much start for start upside as anybody. And um, I don't know. I'd have to do. I'd have to do a side by side comparison. That's not something I've done in a long time because you know I say that, and I know uh, I know Lamette has several double digit strikeout efforts this season. So maybe I'm um, maybe what I'm saying is not necessarily wrong about glass now, but Lamette's closer to that than I'm giving him credit for. But I suspect, you know, I brought up Snell as a comparison. I suspect right, suspect right now that the order I'd rank those three is glass now followed by Lamette followed by Snell. And I don't know how many other pitchers would be in that same range, but that's how I'd order those three. 
Yeah, I think that's a pretty good order. I like that. And I think that they will all kind of be in the 18 to 25 range at starting pitcher, just off the top of my head. I feel like that makes sense. It's like an SP2, high-end SP3. Uh, and just I have glass right now. I have glass now 18, Lamette 25, and Snell 30. So, thir- so it's just funny that you pick 18 to 25 <laughs> range, and that's two the exact number that two of them were. Yeah, I'm, I'm pretty good at this, huh, Scott? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but Tyler Glass now on the season has been a little unlucky as a 4.47 ERA. His XFIP is 2.88. So the numbers say that Glass now has been pretty ridiculous. He has a 14K per nine. It's just, yeah, that's crazy. Some news and notes. What else do we have going on? Eric Hosmer was able to work out on Monday without a splint to protect the fractured index finger on his left hand. There's no official timetable, but there's a chance he returns next week for the final week of the season. Speaking of the Padres, Tommy Pham has been participating in intra-squad games at the Padres' alternate training site in recent days and could be activated from the IL in the near future. Chris Paddock completed a bullpen session Monday and appears on track to start either Wednesday against the Dodgers or Friday against the Mariners. Cross your fingers. We'll take that Friday start against the Mariners over the Dodgers for sure. Reese Hoskins was placed on the 10-day injury list Monday due to an issue with the UCL in his left arm. Hate to see it. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's not good. Not good at all. Hoskins had been considered day to day after his X ray came back negative, but the team has elected to place him on the IL anyway. So hopefully you got that news before you set your lineups for either the playoffs or the final couple of weeks here in your Roto Leagues. Justin Turner could be reinstated from the IL Tuesday for the Dodgers. Miguel Sano was scratched from Monday's lineup with a stiff neck. Eddie Rosario was also out with that elbow contusion he suffered on Sunday. For the Yankees, Gio Urshela is expected back on Tuesday. Giancarlo Stanton should be later this week. And Aaron Judge just appeared in a sim game, so he shouldn't be too far behind those gentlemen. Sonny Gray, who was placed on the IL with a mid-back strain, is hopeful he can return during the final week of the season. Speaking of returns, Mitch Keller returned, and he was at the Reds on Monday. Three innings, two hits, three earned, four walks, four strikeouts. Not really a great game. It's, no. actually, it's actually pretty bad. But, Scott, the fastball velocity was up over 95 miles per hour, so I was pleasantly surprised by that. Well, yeah, we needed to see this. We needed to see this because before he went on the aisle with his oblique injury, he was two miles per hour lower than last year, and that was... If that's how his season ended, that that would be scary. Uh, you know, not having any idea what to expect from him going into 2021. And I guess we still don't have a great idea, um, but we at least know the same tools are there for him to work with. And while I can't imagine anybody's going to put him in their lineup after this start, you know, it, he still has a couple more turns here to... Uh, put together a promising effort that then has us hyping him as a sleeper all over again next year. I hope so. Cause you know, I'm a fan of those pirates, Mitch Keller and Joe Musgrove just can never get enough. How about those Braves, Scott? They signed Pablo Sandoval to a minor league contract, not fantasy relevant at all, but just worth mentioning because he's the Panda and it's kind of fun. I don't think this is fantasy related either, but maybe it is. John Heyman announced the sale of the New York Mets to Steve Cohen on Monday for about $2.5 billion. How this could affect fantasy is if the Mets 
spend more money now, which uh, if you know anything about the Will Ponds, I, I talked to my Mets friends and they were ecstatic that this finally came through. Uh, you know that Steve Cohen will spend more money than they did. So I would not be surprised if the Mets have a very active offseason right away this offseason. I think it's going to be kind of a unique one. Uh, given everything that's happened with like the pandemic and just the season in general, and we don't know how things are going to be for the start of the 2021 season, obviously. But uh, I think that the Mets might actually be uh, be involved here in the offseason. So something to pay attention to. Congrats to the Mets fans out there. Jake Lamb made his Oakland A's debut today. Well, not today when you're listening to this on Monday uh, and had two hits and a home run for any AL only players out there. So Monday recap. Shout out to the Orioles. Oh, my gosh. Big game. They won 14 to 1 against your Braves, Scott. I'm sorry. But a lot of big performances here. Jose Iglesias, four hits, including a home run. He is batting 370 with an 891 OPS. I, I realize we haven't talked about Jose Iglesias much this season, but like there's a few na- like him, Miguel Rojas, and Donovan Solano have just been like the weirdest standout middle infielders of all time. And I just keep waiting for them to fall off. And I just don't think it's going to happen in the in a two-month season. They've just They've been great all season, Scott. Yeah, I mean, the profile looks like... The, 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 the batted ball profile that they've all delivered looks like that of someone who hits for average, right? So, you know, maybe over a full-length season, they would be able to sustain a batting average over 300. Um, but 370? You know, probably not. Probably not if, if things had a chance to play out. Uh, that probably would not be that, that probably would not hold. And obviously there's not much power there, especially for Iglesias and uh, Miguel Rojas. So, you know, at, as far as batting averages specialists go, they're probably not that interesting. I mean, it's if it, obviously you would take a 370 batting average over two months if you knew that was going to happen at the beginning for any of them. But of course there was no way of knowing that. So I think you've, you've missed your chance to enjoy any of the benefits there. Ryan Mountcastle, a.k.a. The Goat, just continues to hit three hits, including his fifth home run in 22 games. That is a 36 home run pace over the course of a full season. He is batting 364. DJ Stewart stayed hot on Monday, hit his seventh home run in just 19 games thus far. He hits the ball very hard. We've talked about him a few times now. Hits lots of fly balls. The barrel rate is through the roof for DJ Stewart. I say, look, if you want to ride the hot hand, you need power in that Bobby Dahlbeck kind of sense that, you know, we there's been no shortage of power recently. Dahlbeck, Duval, uh, DJ Stewart, and Stewart is still just 27% rostered, so you could pick him up in CBS leagues everywhere. Cedric mm-hmm. Mullins, another one uh, that was impressive on Monday. Two for five, two RBI, three runs scored. Picked up his sixth steal of the season. He is just 4% rostered. So if you need steals in a head-to-head categories or in a Roto League, uh, Cedric Mullins, he's a name that, you know, I was actually kind of hyped about heading into, when was it? I guess last year, the 2019 season, and he just was not good. He's playing pretty well now, Scott. Any interest, Cedric Mullins? I mean, only if steals was specifically the need. The most interesting of these is by far is Mount Castle, who I... I don't understand why he hasn't gotten picked up in more leagues yet. I think enough people are still paying attention that it should be up over 50, you know, it should be up over 60%, and it's not. He looks like whoa. must start. Whoa, 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 uh, Scott. 63% for Ryan Mountcastle. Oh, okay, good. He finally did <laughs> eclipse that. 
and, and then the one I'm most intrigued by is DJ Stewart because he's walking a lot. He did in the minors as well. He didn't strike out that much in the minors. He has during this stint in the majors where he's homered uh, seven times in his last nine games. Mm. Uh, and like if he keeps striking out like he has, it, it, he'll obviously come crashing down. But since there is that track record in the minor leagues of him not striking out so much, I, I mean, what are the chances he puts it all together? He's already 26, so it needs to happen sooner than later. But uh, he might be one of those late bloomer types. And then I saved the best for last. God, are you ready for this? Jorge sure. Lopez. Jorge Lopez of the Orioles. How about this? Through seven innings of one-run ball, Picks up the win. And one of our listeners, Dan Zumo, actually started him against me in the podcast league, in the playoffs. Gave him 24 and a half fantasy points as a oh. spark. Against the Braves, no less. Seriously. Like, and how about this? been a total disaster. The one person who scored a run off of him, Freddie Freeman, who is Dan's first baseman. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Come on. It's all man. coming up, Dan. Gosh, Lieutenant Dan trying to take me out. Gosh, Jorge Lopez. All right, some two-star pitcher updates. Pablo Lopez, wowee. What a bounce back here, Scott. I will say, Pablo Lopez, Like, let's let's not jump the gun too much here because there was no JT Real Muto. There was no Reese Hoskins in the lineup for the Phillies, but he took care of business, so we'll give him credit. Seven innings, three hits, one earned, zero walks, six strikeouts. A much-needed bounce-back performance for Pablo Lopez. 13 swinging strikes on 95 pitches, uh, including five whiffs on the changeup. I feel like this is a study that either someone should do, maybe they have done, I have to look into it, but I feel like any time a pitcher, a, a somewhat decent pitcher, Scott, gets rocked, the next time out, that pitcher is usually pretty good. Like They know what they need to work on, and they normally bounce back. I don't know how factual that is, but I just feel like it's something I've noticed in the past. Uh, well, I think the odds are better than not when if it if it is actually a good pitcher. I, I think the jury's still out on how good Pablo Lopez is, but uh, the data still looked good for him. And like the XFIP, we were we were making apologies for him after the way his last start went. You know, that was the 29-run affair for the Braves. And the previous start wasn't so great for Lopez either, but we still liked a lot of what we were seeing. I I advised him, using him for this two-start week. Um, I chickened out in the league where I have him. I, I had a lot of other good pitching options, so it was like Dane Dunning with two starts or Pablo Lopez with two starts, and I went Dunning. So that, that well, makes hopefully sense. that doesn't come back to bite me. But there's still a lot to like about Pablo Lopez. He is a really, really good ground ball pitcher and the whiff rate is better than you'd expect for a ground ball pitcher like that. He tends to throw a lot of strikes, pitches deep into games. Uh, Yeah, I mean, hopefully he doesn't get rocked too often, but it's been a lot more good than bad this year. Yeah, and if you started him in the two-start week, his next start is against the Nationals and that's actually the better matchup of the two uh, between the Phillies and the Nationals, so... Feel pretty good heading into that next one if you started Pablo Lopez. Jesus Lazardo, my man, what is going on? At Seattle on Monday, four and two-thirds, seven hits, four earned, zero walks, seven strikeouts. So you love the, the K-to-walk ratio there, but he allowed three home runs. The ERA for Lazardo is up to 4.32. He did have 12 swinging strikes on 82 pitches. 
It is worth noting. I'm going to try to make an excuse here because I am just a Lazardo advocate. This is my guy. That the two teams were playing through some rough air condition air conditions due to the wildfires that are going on throughout the country. Hope everyone is uh, is safe. But Lazardo had this to say. Quote, I am a healthy 22-year-old. I shouldn't be gasping for air. I guess you could say, or missing oxygen when I'm kind of getting to the line. So I'll leave it at that. So it sounds like that's something that might have affected him here in this start, Scott. But overall, I think Lazardo has been a little bit more inconsistent than we were hoping heading into the season. Yeah, he has. He has. And a little less dominant, too, frankly. Like, it's it's weird. The I, I think the shared concern for Luzardo heading into this season wasn't about effectiveness at all. It was about how often would he pitch beyond five innings, you know, and he has quite a bit <laughs> like that hasn't been like, they, they've really ridden him when he's been pitching well. Um, so that's, you know, that's not even really in play anymore. It's just, uh, does he, frankly, does he miss enough bats? And I think, I think he shows the potential to like, if you break down his pitches individually, they all seem like they should. So I don't know if it's a pitch mix thing or maybe leaning a little too much on the sinker to get early contact. Um, you know, I don't know what kind of message it, sometimes young pitchers get that message. You don't have to strike everybody out. Just even to put the ball in play. Well, we'd rather you strike everybody out, but you know, who knows what he's been hearing. I think the skills are definitely there for him to dominate. I'm not really, like from a long-term perspective, downgrading him based on the way this year has gone. There's been a lot of good too. But yeah, a little little less consistent than we hoped for. I will say the swinging strike rate so far this season, and it's without Monday start included here, but a 12.3% swinging strike rate, that is better than league average. According to Fangraphs, a 29% hard contact rate. That is way better than league average. So not giving up a lot of hard contact. I think the walks have been... A little inconsistent at times this year as well. Like some of the some of the control, I think, has been off for Lazardo at times. But I, I'm going to go back to the well. You know, if anyone wants to downgrade him heading into next year, it with all the pitchers that are kind of ascending right now towards the end of the season, the Corbin Burns, the Sixto Sanchez. I, I think Lazardo is going to be someone that gets pushed down a little bit. And if I get him as like an SP three or SP four heading into 2021, fine. I love it. I'll please give it to me. Welcome back. Kwang Young Kim, he was at the Brewers on Monday. He was great. Seven shutout, six strikeouts, three hits, three walks allowed. Only seven swinging strikes on 87 pitches, but that's not really uh, Kim's game. Did get nine ground ball outs, and it looks like his final two starts, Scott, will be at the Pirates and against the Brewers again. He is 67% rostered, so I don't really know that he's available anywhere, but I think if you have him, you can feel comfortable getting him back in there. Well, <laughs> at least in those matchups, you know, Pirates and Brewers, Scott. Yeah, I mean, that's one way of putting it. The matchups are good, like you said. I'd, like He's just been such a perplexing pitcher to me because it's a so-so ground ball rate, a bad K rate, <laughs> an okay walk rate. So, like, what is he actually good at? I mean, he's been getting weak contact, but that's not, particularly for a pitcher who doesn't have, like, a long-standing history with that, like a, like a Kyle Hendricks. That's not something I'm inclined to trust. It seems like that goes in and out pretty quickly. Um, so, yeah, I really don't trust Kim. And I, I'm shocked after an IL stint, he ended up going seven innings. 
Yeah, he was efficient. So, he he threw eighty seven pitches over yeah. just over seven innings. So, right, right. But um, yeah, I'm still, I'm still not buying into Hinton that hard. I I mean, I understand as a streaming option, that's mm-hmm. fine. But I, I I don't view him as like a must start or anything. I agree, but I just like those matchups, man. Pirates and, sure. and Brewers final two looks looks pretty good there for Quang Hyun Kim, Trevor Bauer. Another gem. This is gonna. I, I am very interested to see what happens with Trevor Bauer in the offseason. It was against the Pirates in the first game of their doubleheader today. Six and a third, four hits, one earned, two walks, 12 strikeouts for Bauer in this one. 17 swinging strikes on 105 pitches. Nine on the curve, five on the cutter. That is now one run or less in six of eight starts for Bauer this season. Scott, if the season ended today, would Trevor Bauer be locked into your top 10 starting pitchers for next season? So right now, my rankings, I have him seventh. I know when we did our draft, and you know we may not, we may not have agreed exactly how those first two rounds would have gone. We were taking turns picking, but I know we had uh, Yu Darvish ahead of him and Walker Bueller ahead of him, and I probably have like Max Scherzer ahead of him. Uh, so that I, I, it'd be borderline, it'd be borderline, but I, I think more likely than not, Bauer would be in the top 10. Um, <laughs> just it's, it's w- with some trepidation there because of all the different versions of Bauer we've seen over the years, but this year's version obviously is, it's about as good as it gets. And I want more of that next year, buddy. Trevor Bauer do more of that. Yeah, look, it's, I, I can't come up with an argument. Like at this point, Trevor Bauer has made me look like the biggest fool, and for that, you know, I should be mad at him. I, I'm mad. He's doing what he's supposed to do, right? He's he's getting it done. Trevor Bauer has been fantastic this season. The problem is, you were able to get Bauer this year. You know, sometimes outside the top twenty starting pitchers is a mid round pick, the fifth, uh, fifth, sixth, seventh round pick at times. Next year, Trevor Bauer is going to be a top three round pick again. He's going to be, you know, a bo- I think a borderline second, early third round pick. So that's where like the volatility comes back into play, where you have to like actually, it's the opportunity cost of having to draft Trevor Bauer. And I'm probably not going to have any shares of him again next year just because of how high he's going to be drafted. Scott, let me ask you, who would you rather have, Trevor Bauer or Clayton Kershaw? Kershaw. On Monday, six six and a third, three earned runs, nine strikeouts. The ERA is up to two point two eight. But I mean, for the most part, he's been great this year as well. Bauer or Kershaw, Scott? Mm. Mm. I I I think I'm inclined to say Bauer. Uh, yeah, uh, right in the it's heart. The, it's the rubber arm thing with him that's hard to overcome because I like that's going to be one of the weirdest thing heading into next season is. How is how is any pitcher going to be handled after, uh, you know, throwing less than a hundred innings? Right, nobody's getting to a hundred this year. No, nobody's getting to a hundred. Maybe in the playoffs, it's possible someone will I'd have to calculate that out. But the bottom line is, it's going to be well below two hundred. So who's going to make that hundred inning jump? Who who are teams going to allow to do that? Who's uh, who's not going to struggle to do that? And that's really difficult to answer. Like, I don't know if Luzardo needs to be downgraded. Uh, Sixto Sanchez, we've talked about maybe having him in the top 20. I don't know how much those guys need to be downgraded just on that alone. Like, 
are the Marlins going to jeopardize Sixto Sanchez's long-term health, pushing him to 180 innings, knowing how much of a jump that was from this year? I, I, I don't know. I don't think I would if I were them. Someone we're also going to have that conversation about is going to be Corbin Burns, who has been the talk of the town recently, and rightfully so. On Monday, four and two-thirds, one earned, 10 strikeouts, three walks. He didn't go very deep into the start. He got in trouble with some walks and lots of strikeouts, so the pitch count got up. 17 swinging strikes for Burns in this start on 101 pitches, 10 on the cutter. A bit of a mixed bag here, Scott, but I think we're probably going to have that conversation for Corbin Burns as well. Is there anything else you wanted to add here that you saw? Out of Burns today? Uh, no, I mean, the 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 encouraging trend we saw with the control and the walks being down. I mean, three walks in this start, and he threw, I think, less than 60% of his pitches for strikes. So, you know, a step back there after a couple steps forward. But ultimately, I don't think it changes how I'm valuing him in any way. His counterpart, Daniel Ponce de Leon, has not been good this season, but he was pretty good here. Six innings pitched, two earned, nine strikeouts, only one walk. He's really struggled with walks this season, but 17 swinging strikes on 97 pitchers. Uh, Daniel Ponce de Leon, only 4% rostered on CBS, and like Kim, looks like his last two starts will be against the Pirates and either the Royals or the Brewers. So, Well, whereas you're assuming he continues to start for them. I mean, this was a great true. start, but it was his first appearance of any kind since August 28th, and... Uh, if if Carlos Martinez is a fixture in the rotation now, I don't know. They probably have doubleheaders coming up next week too. They might just have to leave him in because of the doubleheaders. Let's check here. I got it pulled up. Uh, yeah, they got eight games next week. Mm-hmm. Okay, fair enough. I, d- I don't know if those matchups are going to line up quite as you put them out there, but I would guess Ponce de Leon at least has one more start left, if not two. Yeah, he's not a must-start by any means, but I think, look, in deeper leagues, you need a streamer, just good matchups. I the, These pitching matchups for the Cardinals over the final two weeks look very, very enticing, so just keep that in mind. Some leftovers from Monday, a few more things to hit on. You mentioned Josh Bell, his teammate, Cabrian Hayes, hit his second home run of the season. He's batting a cool 316 early on, making a lot of hard contact. He was averaging 95 miles per hour exit velocity entering Monday's action uh, Cabrian Hayes has been performing well. Uh, Luis Torrens, someone that we mentioned, if you were in a pinch in uh, in terms of the catcher position on yesterday's podcast, he had two hits, including his first major league home run on Monday. And who else we have here? Kyle Lewis hit a three-run homer, uh, his 10th. He's really slowed down. His first 28 games, 372 batting average, six home runs with a 23% strikeout rate. His... Next 18 games, this is Kyle Lewis, a 152 batting average, four home runs, and a 32% strikeout rate. Scott shaking ah. his head because Scott <laughs> knows deep down that he was right. And right after you made your apology to Kyle Lewis, like I have done for so many players this season, he started to <laughs> come back to earth. That's the worst. It's the worst. <laughs> I, I really like... Because the season-long K rate is now 26%. So is that the one we're supposed to look at, or are we supposed to look at that one over the last 18 days, like you said? Uh, I, I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I, I still think, like, my original stance on Kyle Lewis is just, he's, he's going to be useless in the long run. And I still don't think that's true. So I was right to... I, I'm going to stick with I was right to soften my stance some, but... Um, you know, I, I may have gone a little too far and 
maybe everybody went a little too far in anointing him the next great thing to grace our lineups in the outfield. He's really fun to watch. There's no doubt. Like I've seen some highlight plays from him, some catches out of Kyle Lewis. And I think he's interesting. I think, you know, in the long run, you're, you're right. Like he's not going to be the player we saw early on the season, but if he can settle in as a, I don't know, 250 to 260 hitter who gives you pop and maybe he steals you a few bags. Like, yeah, that's a useful player in Roto leagues with five outfielders. So keep that in mind. But I think it's probably more realistic for Kyle Lewis. Scott, anything to see here with Mike Miner? Because he pitched against the Mariners on Monday. Seven shutout with eight strikeouts. How about this? He had 19 swinging strikes. 16 of them came on the four-seam fastball, with average, which averaged 90.3 miles per hour. What right. The? So it's still down from last year by a couple miles per hour. It's, like it, it's not like it got better. I don't, know, I don't know why the Mariners weren't able to touch it. I don't know. I didn't watch it. I'm not sure if watching it would have told me anything. Um. But yeah, I don't, I don't see like this, this just looks like a blip, a blip for minor and I would still avoid him rest of season. A few bullpen notes, Brandon Kinsler pitched in the ninth inning for the Marlins up six to two on Monday. So I brought up a uh, Yimi Garcia as a name just cause he picked up a save over the weekend, but still seems like Kinsler is the guy, but pay attention. And then Yoshi Hirano picked up a save with a one run lead. For the Mariners, that was his second save of the season. Just a name to pay attention to uh, if you are desperate for saves in some Roto or category leagues. All right, we're going to hit a quick break. But first, I do want to remind everybody that I know football is back. And (laughs) while we're recording, it's actually Monday Night Football still playing right here behind me. And baseball is winding down. But let's not forget about golf. The U.S. Open is here, and the First Cut Golf Podcast has you covered this week for the second major of the year. The First Cut crew is coming at you with two preview episodes full of picks and DFS analysis, plus round-by-round recaps. After every day of action at Winged Foot, the First Cut Golf Podcast is available wherever you listen to podcasts, go download and subscribe today. Also, let me just quickly uh, address an Apple podcast review that we received recently. A little bit of a rant here, Scott. You tell me, tell me if I'm, I'm okay. being too harsh. But this one came from uh, Matuli21. He said, quote, asking for five stars to answer questions is a joke. I will just say that we do this podcast because we love fantasy baseball and we love helping people win their leagues. There, look, there is no doubt about that. Honestly, like I will, I will go winless in all of my leagues if that means like all the listeners wins all of their leagues. Like I, I truly mean that. Now, if I you don't gen- know that I mean that, but that's fine. <laughs> that's fine. Good for you, Frank. Now, if you genuinely think that we deserve a one star rating on Apple, that is fine. Leave it. Leave the review and and, and explain why. I'm all for constructive criticism, but. The reason we ask for this is because it helps the podcast with searchability on Apple. Is it really the worst thing if we answer a question in, re- in exchange for a podcast rating? I don't think so, Scott, but, th- but that's just me. So I'll just leave it there and rant over. But thanks mm. for, your, for, your, for your one-star <laughs> rating and review, Matuli21. I think it would have been a better rant if you had the angry voice. <laughs> To, oh, to that, use with it. That would have earned us like five more one-star ratings. <laughs> Speaking of some it's APR questions, let, let's answer some of these APR questions quick. Uh, from Theo, 
1017. Strictly speaking, Arsenal. What pitcher do you think that has the best stuff in baseball? I am leaning Walker Bueller. Not me. That's that's what Theo has to say. He thinks Walker oh. Bueller has just the best stuff in baseball. Oh, okay. Uh, man, I should have an answer ready to go, huh? I have one. I, I'm going to go with Jacob DeGrom, who I think should be still the first pitcher taken off the board next year. Throws 100 miles per hour, 93 yeah, mile per hour no, slider. Yeah, I mean, I can't. Just getting better with age. It's crazy. I can't really think of a good argument against that. Shane Bieber has it's some. kind of the obvious answer. Yeah, like Bieber has some nasty stuff too. Like, Right. But those are a few of like, you know, the I obvious mean, answers. Yeah, I mean, Corbin Burns is... Like if, like I know we just talked about him, so that's just top of mind answer. But he does seem to have that nasty stuff, and you know, a little less obvious of an answer there. Yeah, Corbin Burns is awesome. I'm looking through our rankings now to see, like, if I'm just talking about specific pitches, like Luis Castillo's changeup. Yep, is awesome. That is ridiculous. Uh, Tyler Glass now is breaking ball. You know, coupled with his near 100 mile per hour fastball is awesome to watch. Blake Snell's curveball is fantastic. Those are a few that come to uh, Denelson Lamette slider. Those are just a few general pitches, but uh, yeah, I'd probably go with Jacob DeGrom. This one is from Magistrid 99 in a 10-team points league rest of season. Which three of these five outfielders would you choose? Ian Happ, Nick Castellanos, Ryan Mountcastle, Will Myers, and Mike Yastrzemski. Oi. Hap, Cassianos, Mountcastle, Myers, Yastrzemski. Rest of season. Yeah, I for mean, like at this point in like the two season, weeks. I kind of <laughs> have to would look, look at the schedules and see how many games each of those teams are playing. I know the Orioles uh, have seven more games this week, and they play six games next week. Mm-hmm. But I only know that because I was just looking at TJ Stewart in one of my leagues. And so it's a the Cubs and Giants both have just five this week, but they both have seven next week, and it might become eight for the Giants if they get a doubleheader in there. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it doesn't matter that much the game difference for these specific players, especially now that we have that that Monday where a lot of them were sitting out is in the past now. Um, so I'm gonna go with. Uh, I'm going to go with Yastrzemski and uh, I think he's still yeah, got to okay, put- So the, the Padres actually have just five games next week. Maybe it becomes six if there's a doubleheader. But they actually seem like they're disadvantaged in that way. So I'm going to leave out Myers. I'm going to go Yastrzemski, Happ, and Castellanos. You know, I, I thought Castellanos was a lock here. I just, he's batting 231. Scott, what happened to Nick Castellanos, man? Oh my gosh. Yeah, I, I'm not. Happ has slowed down a little bit too. The strikeouts. I'll go yes. Castellanos, Mountcastle, and, and Yastrzemski. I love Mountcastle, man. He's he's awesome, and he's just hot right now too. We're kind of splitting hairs here. Yeah, We're we pointing really out Castellanos' expected batting average is 294, so I haven't really been concerned about him. I understand it's been a little disappointing, especially after he get got off to a hot start. I I think those are the three names I'd go with, but like. It's hard to pick a three that would be clearly wrong, you know? Yeah, they're all good players. This last one, this APR question, comes from Jeff Francisco. And it's a keeper question, which is relevant because after we come back from the break, we have a 
ton of keeper questions. Jorge Soler at $11 or Dom Smith at $2 where salaries increase $3 annually. Did you read here this was two, dear, you know, the dear... Dear Amos, Freddie, and Cookie. Yeah. I was, I was, I've, I'd been thinking about it all podcast because I'm thinking Amos must be famous, Amos, since there's Cookie in there, but maybe that's, that's a red herring. Right. Um, yeah, I think they're just... Is it too obvious? Famous Amos cookies? Little chocolate chip cookies? Well, yeah, but what is Freddie? Oh, Freddie. Mm. Mm. Anyway. Uh, <laughs> man, I feel like I shouldn't say Dominic Smith here, but I kind of want to. Jorge Soler is $9 more. I feel like I feel like $14, assuming... I'm not sure how deep this format is, but assuming it's standard 12 teams, $14 for Jorge Soler, he's not going to go for much more than that. So I feel like Dominic Smith for $5 just makes... It's the only one that makes sense. And the one that makes more sense anyway. Okay. These are Kansas City Royals from the early 70s. Freddie Patek, Cookie Rojas, Amos Otis, and apparently Lou Pinella. There's a picture of all four of them standing <laughs> together. In, okay. Royals, in Royals jerseys. I'll take it. <laughs> it sounds right, so it has to be right. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we're going to answer your keeper questions here on Fantasy Baseball Today. Live Nation presents Concert Week. From now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 summer shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Janet Jackson, Megan Trainer, Peso Pluma, Sean Paul, Sum 41, and many more for way less. Grab your tickets now through May 14th to see all of the artists you love all summer long for just $25 each. Visit LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. That's LiveNation.com slash ConcertWeek to buy now. Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Welcome back, and we have keeper questions for the 2021 season, so let's jump right in. This one's from Michael. 16-team, head-to-head categories. Pick two of these. Will Smith, the catcher. Adalberto Mondesi, Giancarlo Stanton, Framber Valdez, and Dean Kramer. Two of those, Scott in a head-to-head categories league. Mondesi, as annoying as he is, um, I think you still, I think you have to go Stanton. I kind of want, I'm tempted to say Valdez, knowing how heavily I'm going to go after starting pitching next year, but particularly since it's a categories league and not a points league, I, I think I'm still leaning Stanton there. And it's 16 team power becomes harder to replace. Ugh. I'm so overstanding, but <laughs> oh, I'm sending that clip to Chris Towers. Expect an email tomorrow. I know, <laughs> but I do. I do agree with you. I mean, even with you know, got the Yankee hat on, but Stan is so so frustrating. What do you agree that you 
to keep him over Valdez? Yeah, I would go with those two. I agree. Okay. This one's from Patrick. I'm in a 14-team, six-keeper Roto League, and I need to pick pick one of the four as my final keeper. Max Scherzer, J.D. Martinez, Whit Merrifield, and just for fun, Jesus Lazardo. I wouldn't say it's just for fun. I think it's a legitimate consideration. But since it's only six keepers, there's still quite a bit of turnover here. I think Scherzer's the easy answer. He's going to be a second or third round pick next year. Yeah, I I think you still have to go with uh, Scherzer there as well. This one's from Cal. How do you feel about Jack Flaherty and Alex Verdugo as keeper picks for next season? Is Flaherty a regression candidate with a slow season thus far? And has Verdugo shown enough in less than 60 games to warrant a selection? To this point, Verdugo... Is batting 311 with an 875 OPS. He's quietly been very good. Six home runs, 30 runs, scored four steals. Hits a lot of ground balls. Jack Flaherty, only six starts, but 308 ERA, 103 whip. The underlying numbers are very similar to 2019. Yeah, I wonder what he means by regression. Candidate. I guess he means the positive kind of regression. Because, yeah. like, skills-wise, Flaherty looks like he's just fine. There's, mm-hmm. you know, he just had a... The way his season played out kind of messed him up. And he's not, Cardinals. yeah, like he's not going deep into starts, but it's yeah. not really his fault. Well, he's he's finally ready to now. Yeah. Um. I I mean, we're not comparing these two, right? We're just talking about them individually. Like Flaherty's going to be top fifteen starting pitcher easily, maybe top twelve next year, and Verdugo, um. You know, the ex- the expected stats don't back up the actual stats, even though the actual stats kind of look like what we were projecting him or, or what we were hoping for in a hopeful projection. So, uh, I don't know. He, he, I don't know if he'll be quite top 40 among outfielders for me heading into next season. He might be just outside of that. Or he might not. But that's that's what I'm thinking. I'm not I'm not viewing him as like a stud yet. Yeah, that's the range that I was thinking too. Like back end of the forties for Verdugo. Don't know that he has to be, you know, one of your three outfielders in a head to head points league, but I think anything deeper than that, four or five outfielders you start, like, sure. I feel good having Alex Verdugo there. And there's always a chance that he takes another step because he's he's so young. So keep that in mind as well. So like a top forty ish outfielder with upside, and I agree on Flaherty. This one's from Thomas. Head to head points, twelve team league with six keepers at no cost. Which of these young starting pitchers would you keep if you could only choose one? And Scott, there's so many people that I feel like are going to have this dilemma heading into next season, but we've got a triple threat cage match here. Corbin Burns versus Sixto Sanchez versus Ian Anderson. Did you know that entering Monday, all three of these pitchers had a 0.91 whip? When I looked this up today, my mind was blown. I I, I thought that I, I had the same page open for everyone. I'm like... I thought I changed the page. 0.9. What? They all have exactly a 0.91 whip. It's very interesting. I'm ready to go Burns here of these three. Mm. He's been he's been tested the most and still come out with these numbers. And they're the, like they're the most dominant numbers of the three with the strikeouts and everything. As good as Sanchez and Anderson have been. I, I still say of these three, Sanchez has the highest floor. He's the safest pick. For as unproven as he is, but Burns with all the strikeouts, all the bat missing ability, I think he's the one you go with here. Oh man, it's 
This is tough. They all have sub two ERAs, but small sample size. Ding. Take a shot wherever you are listening. But I think Burns has the highest upside. I think he also has the lowest downside, Scott. Although Ian Anderson's downside might be low too, but... Yeah, I don't know. The one I'm least confident in at this point is Ian Anderson, and he's been great, and there are a lot of reasons to be enthusiastic about him. He has a 59% ground ball rate. That's crazy. Ian Anderson does? Yeah. I mean, that's as good as Sanchez. If he can keep that up, he's going to be... Great. I just don't know how regular a part of his profile that was. I never thought of him as in quite in those terms when he was coming up as a prospect, but an inconsistent minor league track record and obviously hasn't been tested that hard. But like, I'm not down on Ian Anderson. You're just, you, you have to, you have to pick nits when you're yeah. deciding between three players like this. And all three of these are pitchers that we're going to have that same conversation for what is their innings limit going to look like for the 2021 season, assuming that it's a full season. So we'll have to keep that in mind. I think as of now, I would, I would agree with you on Burns, but I got to do some deep dive in the off season. I, I really like all three of these guys. Like six. Sanchez is just fantastic too, but I'll lean Burns for now as well from Colin need three out of four. Mike Trout for a first rounder, Trey Turner for a seventh rounder. Jack Flaherty for a ninth, Max Freed for a 14th. Leaning towards Trout, Turner, and Flaherty, but with Freed having such a great season, didn't know if he should come into consideration. I think Trout, Turner, and Flaherty are too obvious to even really consider Freed. I think like the difference between ninth-round pick and 14th-round pick isn't enough for me to side with who I think is the lesser pitcher, Freed versus Flaherty. So, yeah, Trout, Turner, Flaherty. Yeah, I almost, I almost want to say free. I like, I like the five rounds of value you get on Freed, and he's probably going to be like a top twenty, top twenty-five starting pitcher too. Like, I don't think he's going to be very far behind Jack Flaherty either in the rankings. Like, it, it's just the a five-round difference, of course, matters a lot more if it's first round versus sixth round. True. Than ninth versus fourteenth, and I feel like the kind of player you draft in the ninth round instead of Flaherty. Like, wouldn't it be a make-or-break player for you? That's a pick that you, you know, maybe maybe he's useful for you all season, maybe not. Uh, so I don't, I wouldn't really miss having a ninth-round pick in order to keep freed four, uh, five rounds later, you know? All right, you've talked me into it. This one's from Alex. Dear Jimmy, Kima, Lester, and Bunk. Ah, yeah, that's The Wire. The Wire. 12-team head-to-head points league. Keep eight forever with no penalty. We also have four outfielders plus a utility. Locked in, I have Mike Trout, Cody Bellinger, Justin Verlander, Zach Gallen, and Mike Clevenger. I need three more out of Corey Seager, Kyle Tucker, J.D. Martinez, Whit Merrifield, and Corbin Burns. Three of those five. Seager's easy. Uh, so it's a points league. I think points league, you go Burns over any of the hitters. At least I do. Um, Tucker. Tucker. Yep, that's what I was thinking too. Sounds good to me. This one's from Timothy. Hello, Jamal and Nicola. Do you know who these are, Scott? Well, the, the answer's in there. <laughs> I, 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 I wrote it in parentheses to remind myself. Although I would, that's one of the ones that I actually would have known myself. But those are the Denver Nuggets. You've been watching any NBA playoffs here, Scott? 
Oh, I no. (laughs) 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 Haven't Uh, even thought about it. I'm about to anger Timothy too. Go Clippers. Let's go. Curious who you'd prefer to keep in my 12-team auction league $260 budget. Scoring is head-to-head 10 categories with OBP and quality starts instead of batting average and wins, respectively. The keeper price goes up $5 each year. Keep three of the following. Oh, you ready? Wow, this is a long list. Longer than I thought. Uh, Bryce Harper for $41. Jose Ramirez for $22. Eugenio Suarez for $21. Nick Castellanos for $17. Carlos Correa for $17. Conforto for $15. Corey Seager for $10. Kyle Tucker for $9. Aaron Nola for $16. Carlos Carrasco for $12. Zach Gallen for $7. Shane Bieber for $5. I'll save all the good ones for the end. How many? Uh, oh, you only need only three. Bieber? Mm. Bieber at five for sure. Um, I'm tempted just because of just because man, you want that pitching advantage. You want as much pitching as you could get. I'm going even harder after that. Bieber, Nola, Gallon. Let's do it. That's Scott. that's what I'm thinking. But like, I hate giving up Jose Ramirez for 22. Yeah, and even it's Corey Seager, Corey Seager for, 10. for 10. But Ugh. like, yeah, I I think like. Who knows what other pitchers are being kept by other teams, you know? And then you may not have a your pitching staff may completely stink because you just don't have that many that you can draft. So I think you go Bieber, Gallon, and Nola and trust that a lot of hitting is still going to be out there. I yeah, when you you're talking back and forth, you almost talk me into I like Bieber, Nola, and Seeger too. I would narrow it down to those four. You make the final decision, Timothy, but it sounds like Scott wants to go with the pitchers. All right, we have a few more of these. Let's let's zoom on through here. From Derek, 10-team, 5x5 Roto. We keep 12 players at all at equal cost, and they can be kept for as many years as you want. Four pitchers. I, all right, whatever. Uh, who should be my fourth pitcher out of Patrick Corbin, Zach Plesek, Hyunjin Ryu, and Corbin Burns? I mean, maybe I'm just on a real Burns kick today, but I'm thinking Burns. Over Corbin, huh? I think so. I think so. We'll see how Corbin's next two starts go, because I think, you know, if, if his next two are as good as his last one was, maybe I changed my mind. But there are, you know, Corbin hasn't been as good this year in a way that is reflected in the underlying stats, too. This one's from Harold. Head-to-head with OBP instead of batting average. I have three spots to fill with my options being Sixto Sanchez, Davey Garcia, Dane Dunning, Jake Cronenworth, Frankie Montas, Casey Mize, J.D. Martinez, and Alec Bone. Three of those. Uh, is this keeper or is this uh, starting? Mm, I, th- I think it's a keeper one. Okay. <laughs> I wrote it down as a keeper question. Okay, so Sixto Sanchez, J.D. Martinez, Alec Bone. Now you got me thinking. Keepers for head-to-head. Yeah, these are keepers. Uh, who'd you say, Scott? Sixto Sanchez? Sixto Sanchez, J.D. Martinez, and Alec Bohm. I like it. This one's from Jason. I'm a, in a 12-team daily points league where we keep three players at draft value. Must keep at least one batter and one pitcher. I have Juan Soto for a third, so I'm keeping him, but my pitcher choices are Max Scherzer for a first, Steven Strasburg for a 12th, Corbin Burns for a 12th, Sonny Gray for an eighth, Max Fried for a 10th. Which two of those would you choose? Oh, 
Coming sigh, everybody. Oh, uh, thank you. Oh, man, man. Gosh. What, I don't feel like I can eliminate any one of them that easily. Well, what happens if you keep two for a 12th? Does one go to the 11th? Yeah, I assume so. Oh, gosh. Gosh. Uh, <laughs> Scott is struggling. You got to keep Strasburg for a 12th, right? Yeah, and I think Sonny Gray for an 8th. Okay. But it, yeah. and no, it's very close. It's close for sure. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Burns for a 12th, Freed for a 10th. I, like, I'm not sure it shouldn't be either of them. I'm not sure it shouldn't even be Scherzer for a 1st, even though I know he won't get drafted in the first round next year. But... Yeah, okay, I'll, I'll go with you. Strasburg 12th, Sonny Gray. This one's, in eighth. this one's from Mark. Hello there, Pat and Paul. Okay, that sounds like, uh, well, the answer's here too. Blue Jays World <laughs> Series MVPs. You can't make it that easy on me, Frank. I know, I messed up. Paul Molitor and Pat Borders. I'm in a 12-team points league, and I'm contemplating who to keep, Zach Gallen or Sixto Sanchez. My other keepers are Jose Ramirez, Trevor Story, and Shane Bieber. I thought Gallon was going to be a slam dunk keeper for me, but with the stud emergence of Sixto, I'm questioning what I should do. Yeah, so I still don't know how much of a strikeout pitcher Sixto Sanchez is going to be. I don't have many concerns about whether or not Zach Gallon is going to be this good must-start pitcher for the foreseeable future, so I'd, I'd stick with Gallon. This next one is from... Daniel, seeing if you have any guys we can pick up in the last week of the season that might have a shot at being a keeper for next year, either a prospect or perhaps someone who got hurt that we have forgotten that will be back for next year. Well, I don't know how deep you want to go, how many keepers you keep in your league if you keep entire rosters, but I, I am putting together a column right now, uh, 20 sneaky dynasty pickups with 2021 in mind. Um, so like Jamison Tyone is somebody who got injured that you may have forgotten about, and he might fare much better with the new coaching staff next year. Uh, that immediately comes to mind. Like if it's shallower, then you could say the same thing for Noah Syndergaard and, uh, Luis Severino coming back from Tommy John surgery. But I feel like those are on the more obvious side. Yeah. Chris Sale too, but obvious. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, a few others that stood out to me, Scott. Uh, Merrill, okay. Merrill Kelly got hurt. And yeah, not that he's like fantastic or anything, but he was pitching well this season. So someone might have dropped him. And if you could just keep him for like a last round pick, it might be worth it. Mike Soroka, you know, I don't know how much time he's going to miss next year. Of course, he has the torn Achilles. Marcus Stroman opted out again, like not a fantastic keeper. So, but he might be like just available somewhere. And then Corey Kluber. I don't know what's left in the tank, but he also might be available. Domingo Herman, Sneaky. Yeah, that's sneaky. Because that he wasn't is. injured, he was suspended. I'm going to throw this out there if you, if you are in a deeper league. It's like four, four relievers who aren't closers, but circumstances could align that make them closers next year. Jordan Romano of the Blue Jays, who of course we saw a little in that role this year. Josh Stamont of the Royals, who we've talked about quite a bit. Tanner Rainey of the Nationals, I would put in that category and Aaron Bummer of the White Sox, who's hardly pitched this year, but he has closer potential, and uh, Alex Colomay is in the final year of his contract. I don't know what the contract situation is for Brad Hand, but James Karinchak is awesome, so he might yep. be the closer at some point as 
well. This one's from Steve. 16-team head-to-head categories league. Five keepers with at least one having to be a pitcher. Jacob deGrom, Aaron Nola, Tony Gonsolin, Tristan McKenzie, Mike Soroka, and Seth Lugo could all be kept for three years. Jack Flaherty could be kept for two years. Batters aren't as strong. J.D. Davis, Michael Brantley, Gene Segura, Nick Markakis, LOL, Brandon Nimmo could be kept for up to three years. Jose Altuve for two years and J.D. Martinez for one. So DeGrom and Nola for three, I think. Even with DeGrom being older, that's a slam dunk. Mm -hmm. I think Jack Flaherty for two, for sure. Mm -hmm. I was leaning Jose Altuve for two, although I am kind of worried about him. And then I think the last one, either J.D. Martinez for one or Mike Soroka for three, but Soroka's iffy because coming back from an Achilles. Yeah, why not Michael Brantley for three? I guess just because he's getting older. Yeah. Uh, I would probably go Soroka for that fifth spot. I think I agree with your top four. DeGrom, Nola, Flaherty, or easy. Altuve, yeah, okay. Uh, Soroka for three. I mean, coming back from a tough injury, but three years of him pre- presuming he bounces back is uh, is a good deal for you. All right, that'll do it. He is Scott White. I am Frank Stample. Thank you all for listening and watching Fantasy Baseball today on our YouTube channel. We'll be back again tomorrow. Bye-bye.